Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone, wherever you're listening from. Welcome back to Sophie's Stories, the podcast bringing you original handcrafted stories right into your ear holes. So if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. If you're a new listener, welcome. It's very nice to have you here. Uh, So it's a very exciting week because this week marks the end of my second series story, which runs every Wednesday. Um, This story was called The Turn. And today, my fine friends, is the finale. So I'm very, very, very excited to bring it to you. Now, if you are a new listener, then what you can do to catch up with the rest of the story is pop on to Spotify, Apple Music, uh, that was wrong, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Dear me, the advertisers will be angry. Just kidding, there's no advertisers. And Deezer, um, if you want to catch up with the rest of this series, this is the finale, so it might not make too much sense if you listen to it standalone but if you do I hope you enjoy it regardless (laughs) so um, I've been traveling a lot this week and I will be traveling a lot next week so I'm really really grateful to be bringing you this story and I really hope you enjoy it so um, without further ado and there is going to be a little bit further ado when I tell you uh, about some trigger warnings (laughs) and some disclaimers for this story um certainly there is a trigger warning for extreme violence knife violence in particular um and yeah i think that's it i mean not that that's just it but you know you know what i'm trying to say uh just wanted to let you know so if the grim stuff is too grim for you leave it at the door and maybe have a listen to some of my other stories um and yeah Cool. Well, I hope you really enjoy this story. I'm super, super excited to bring it to you. This is chapter four, the finale of The Turn. The Turn, chapter four, the finale. The room grew colder as we all waited in silence, our patience beginning to waver collectively. We were all uncomfortable, for a myriad of reasons. Rebecca began to tap on her forearm impatiently. It was so silent that you could hear her do this. I looked over at her, but her gaze was firmly fixed on Lucas who wasn't reciprocating. I began to wonder, if I lit a match, would the whole room explode? The tension in the room was incredibly thick. I felt like it probably would, as I looked over a box of matches on the fireplace. I didn't love the approach currently being taken to resolve the ongoing issues, which was nothing. I felt there was too much that didn't make sense and 
I couldn't believe I was any safer sitting in this particular room. I looked around and could see we were all itching to leave. Maybe just walk or get some relief. I stood up and walked to the edge of the room with my back to the window, not enjoying the notion of having my back turned to anyone here, which I think was a pretty fair assessment. Okay, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm sick of sitting around. Everyone in the room looked back at me blankly. So I was thinking, if we all went together to try and find out what happened here, we'd be safe. Even I didn't fully believe that. And we'd have our answer. I promptly curtailed my monologue. The room stood silent. Lucas shook his head slightly. I told you we'll all be safe if we stay here, he said, looking towards me intently. I understood his point, but needed to highlight something to him. Lucas, they said they'd be here as soon as possible. We haven't heard anything in hours. He became so frustrated listening to me that his frustration was seeping out. But I needed him to see. If no help came, we'd have to resolve this somehow amongst ourselves. We couldn't just live in this room forever. It was an uncomfortable truth living in the walls and hanging in the air amongst us. He stared back at me, knowing that it was likely we would outnumber him. If anyone else agreed with me, that was. I looked around the room, trying to silently convince the others to join me. Surprisingly, Lucy responded. Yes, I want to go. She stood up from one of the sturdy wooden chairs, her arms crossed like a child having a temper tantrum. I loved the ferocity she stood there with. She stared at Lucas unwavering. I was currently glad to be witnessing their sibling rivalry. I looked around at everyone else. Lucille, John and Joyce were standing ready to leave. Abby, Brian and Rebecca, however, hadn't moved a muscle until Rebecca said, what a stupid idea. You're suggesting we all go out there with a murderer on the loose, completely unarmed, and disturb five crime scenes. She was seething as she spoke, her cheeks flushed with anger. I considered her wildly valid point, took a beat, and replied, Yes. With Tom and four officers dead on the property, I was only sure of one thing. I would not be sitting here idle, waiting for some undisclosed grim fate to befall me without finding out some useful information. 
or taking any action. Conversely, I only knew that. Rebecca stared at Brian as he looked directly at me, questioningly. Okay, let's go, he stated, turning to Rebecca. They stared in a glazed look over me and headed towards the door. John was looking over at Abby as she did everything humanly possible not to catch his eye. I was sick of waiting and I didn't know her well enough to care if I pissed her off or not. Abby, what about you? Are you coming? She took a beat and nodded along with a small verbal, mm-hmm. I turned around to face Lucas once more and he stood up slowly and unwillingly. He opened the door and gave me a final warning glance and led us all out into the hallway. He gave us a quick pep talk before we went anywhere. Okay, listen to me. No one breaks off from the group. We stay together at all times. If you find anything, do not touch it. It could be evidence. We all nodded slowly as the reality of our situation sunk in and we stood together, small in the towering hallway. Lucas began to lead us through the small kitchen and out the side door. We all filed out and waited on the grass outside. There were floodlights tacked onto the side of the building, illuminating our faces ominously, as if children at a camp telling ghost stories. Lucas locked the door behind us and made off towards one of the single-story cabins, nestled peacefully in the dark. Lucas reached out to the door and looked back at me bracing himself to re-enter the macabre scene. I followed behind him, and so did everyone else. Lucille stood in the room, but by the door, and Lucy joined her. The rest of us took tentative steps through the small lodging. I tagged along behind Lucas continuously, he was the biggest physically out of all of us, but that wasn't the only reason I was keeping so close to him. He was actually the only person here who hadn't lied to me about this situation. Something about that was very comforting. It wasn't just his broad shoulders and tight khakis, I promise. He peered around a small indent in the wall at a positively glacial pace. I placed my hand softly on his back for support and peered around him. On a small camp bed, nestled behind a wide, clear window with the curtain still open, lay an upsetting scene. A middle-aged man, still in his uniform, lay on his back in his bed, 
eyes closed, with a torn shirt, soaked in blood. He looked oddly peaceful, lying there, leading me to think this probably happened while he was asleep. Strange that you would go to sleep with the curtains open, I noted silently. It was still quite dark in the little lodge, so we were saved from what I assumed were a host of gory details. Lucas tiptoed before the deceased, as if he was worried he'd wake him up. He walked around the bed carefully. I checked behind me. As far as I could see, everyone else was still there, seeing as the door was being blocked by Lucy and Lucille with their backs to the rest of us. I looked back at Lucas and he was trying to mouth something to me. I couldn't see anything through the dark. I shook my head and quietly he leant down to whisper in my ear. His strong jaw rested on mine and he smelt like sage. His stubble tickled my cheek as he spoke. There's no weapon. It's gone. He stumbled over slightly as he lifted his head to step away. Our bodies bumped into one another's. I can't say that was unpleasant. He smelled good. He was well-spoken. All in all, a really nice energy to have around. So there was at least something nice about this situation. Right, so the weapon wasn't here. Or was it hidden? Or did the person who did this still have it? Either of these options weren't fantastic. I decided to have a closer look around the room where this poor man lay. Maybe I could find something out of place. I wasn't a detective by any means, but I was trying to come up with something tangible to use in our investigation. I scanned the floor around the camp bed and there were piles of what I assumed were his belongings. I wasn't the tidiest person in the world and I hadn't coexisted in a living space with any other person in years. But this seemed to be just a bit too dishevelled. There was a collection of dishes and cutlery mixed in with jumpers and some paperwork. I crouched down to take a closer look. My phone had no signal, but it still had a torch. I flicked it on and tried to read the words on the page without touching anything. As I shined the light on the blank side of the page, I could read a couple of names backwards in black ink. There seemed to be some kind of list. I definitely saw Joyce's name and Rebecca's when I was interrupted by a tap on my shoulder. Hey, Sarah Kay, should I get you a hat and a pipe and call you Mrs. Holmes? It was John, joking around, not two feet 
from a dead body. Nice. I stood up and sighed, starting to lose patience with my colleague's apathy towards this whole situation. I looked at John in silence. He got the message pretty quickly. Hey, John, I said. Did you come out here last night to get more wine? Or did you bring that bottle with you? I'm just wondering if you saw anything weird. He perked up pretty quickly and replied, Oh no, I didn't come out here last night. I, unlike you, actually came prepared, he asserted. Amidst the small, stuffy room, the atmosphere suddenly became heavy and I felt suffocated. Something was running me out of that room and I did not care to hang around any longer. The sudden change in atmosphere chased me out like a wolf hunting its prey. I'd never felt anything like that before. I barged past Lucy and Lucille as I fought to get out of the front door. As the cold night air hit my lungs, I felt a breath of relief that massaged the whole horrible feeling inside me. I placed my hands on my knees and stared into the grass, speckled with frozen droplets of water. As I looked closer, I noticed a long blonde strand of hair tangled up in the blades. I squinted my eyes and bent down closer to inspect it further. It had a golden quality to it and, more notably, was streaked with blood. This did prove one thing to me. My eyesight was great. I'll save a fortune on glasses in my old age. As my breathing relaxed, I peered back inside the room to locate Lu Lucas. I couldn't see him. I decided not to tell anyone else about my find. I mean, I wasn't a hundred percent sure I trusted Lucas either, but he was looking to be my best bet right now. Although I've known the others for years, you always seem to have a degree of separation from your work colleagues versus your other friends. I always wondered why, but never came up with an answer. I made a mental note and saved it for later. Only three of us were blonde. Abby, Rebecca and me. At least I could remove myself from that list, assuming I hadn't formed the ability to savagely murder people in my sleep. I'm sure I'd be too lazy for any of this business anyway, even subconsciously. So, it was Abby or Rebecca that had some serious explaining to do. How do you find yourself outside in the freezing cold with blood in your hair on a work retreat. It would have had to have been the worst period in existence. 
so earth shattering the recipient had to remove themselves from the house in order to tackle it unlikely i mean to all the ladies listening if you'd like to correct me please do but in my mind the cold would make it worse not better neither of these women gave me a particular sense of confidence and neither encouraged it either my heart rate had finally returned to normal i looked around lucy and lucille were still outside the front door as were most of the others now apart from lucas i could still see lucas rummaging around on the inside i began to feel alone without him and decided to stay put waiting patiently for him to return. I milled around on the lawn a little, lest anyone join me in my evidence viewing session. Lucy was still so shell-shocked that she couldn't return any semblance of conversation, although Lucille was trying to allay her own fears, I assumed, by chatting with her. There was a hum of soft conversation amongst the rest of the group. Finally, Lucas emerged from the dark room and a refreshing burst of clean light shone on his face from the floodlights outside. It was a welcomed glow amongst the dark mood that had befallen this place. He looked over at me knowingly and I edged a little closer to form part of the larger group. He was gathering everyone together as if the Messiah preparing to share the word of God. Thank you for waiting. I think we should try the other cabins too. He started to make off out of the threshold, but was interrupted by John. Hey, wait a minute. What did you find in there? Isn't the whole point of this that we gather some information? He looked tired, although... I couldn't discern whether or not it was a physical or mental tiredness. He placed his expressive hands back in the pockets of his grey chinos and waited, unmoving, anticipating Lucas's reply. I could see Lucas formulating a response carefully as he said, Well, there was roughly two or three shallow stab wounds on his body, meaning it's unlikely that it was particularly personal. John crossed his arms and continued to stare at Lucas. We may as well have all had pitchforks and torches. Lucas continued. And I didn't find anything else. Apart from the obvious disarray in the room, which means... The poor man either put up such a fight and it all got knocked over in the process or someone was looking for something. Valuables, maybe. He tailed off and John sighed audibly. <sighs> it's cold out here, said Abby, as she inched a little closer to John to usurp some heat from him. I agreed it was cold, but I felt cold in a much less tangible way. 
and her statement unnerved me. Lucas began to slowly make his way to the next cabin. He looked over at me momentarily, trying to catch my attention. I slowly migrated behind the group to join him. Our shoulders brushed past one another and I noticed some intention from him. He slid his fingertips over the skin on my wrist and popped a small folded piece of paper into the palm of my hand, about the size of an old 50 pence piece. He sprinted off a little to the front of the group again and reached the next cabin door. I watched over his shoulder as he hesitated slightly and then reached out to open it. He attempted to push it open, but something was stopping it from the other side. It gave us all a fright in case the obstruction was living or alternatively, and probably worse, dead. I turned on the torch on my phone and shone it on the floor. There was a collection of wooden planks jarring the bottom of it. Lucas bent down to move them out the way and I checked the room inside as he crouched over. There was a through breeze hitting me over the top of him. He stood up and turned on his own torch as we all followed him in. Apart from those of us not enthused by visiting murder scenes. I made a mental note to find a therapist when I returned home, as this didn't seem to be presenting as a problem for me. As we entered the small and particularly cold cabin, which was even more messy than the last, I peered over to the right in the particularly dark room, and I saw the long, shoulder-height, single-paned window had been shattered from the inside. A few fragments of pointed, rugged glass were still wedged in the window frame. As Lucas shuffled around the room energetically, I was hesitant as to the unknown location of the dead body he'd mentioned to me earlier. He ushered me further in and whispered, He's outside. A moment of panic fluttered over me. And then I realised what he meant. He meant his body was outside. I nodded silently and checked behind me. John was looking around with his torch. Now all of the other women were standing half in and half outside with Lucy. I decided to go and check she was all right. I announced myself to her and gently tapped her on the shoulder. She looked over her back at me, chittering in the cold. I smiled as gently as possible. She returned it and stayed silent as I looked around beside her. Abby and Rebecca stood together to my right, Lucille a little further behind them by herself, smoking a cigarette. But there was someone missing. Where was Joyce? I peered around both the corners and the sides of the building. She wasn't there. And neither was Brian. 
until I took a further more steps around the corner and found him crouched down, crying beside the wall. I looked around the lawn and the sides of the big house, but still no sign of Joyce. My body began to shiver and the adrenaline made me jittery and uncomfortable as I moved. I ran back inside the cabin and shouted Lucas's name. He turned back with a concerned look on his face, as if he already knew what I was going to say. He started, it's okay, don't worry, as he placed his hand gently on my shoulder. I could feel my face screwing up in confusion as I stared at him. I hadn't said anything yet. So he, I knew he couldn't be talking about Joyce. What? I said. You found him? He returned. Found who? Actually, I was coming to tell you someone's missing. He suddenly looked alarmed and his eyes widened and brain began to form his next line of questioning. Who is it? He demanded. Joyce, I said. He moved me to the side and walked past me with urgency. He reached the door with the rest of the women outside and said, Who was the last person to see Joyce? I slowly walked towards the door behind him. The women were all silent. Abby and Rebecca looked especially bored with this particular question. Lucille heard the discussion and pinged her hot cigarette into the cold grass and joined us. She looked concerned, like Lucy, but something else was on her face too. After a few uncomfortable, tension-filled moments of silence, I asked, Lucy, did you see her at all? She looked at me through a pinched, furrowed brow and nodded ever so slightly. I turned my back to the others and said, Did something happen? In the quietest volume I could physically muster. No, no, she just told me she was going to the toilet quick and, and I just didn't think. She looked racked with guilt and so disappointed in herself. Okay, when did this happen? I asked, thinking we would need to find her as quickly as possible. About five, ten minutes ago, she struggled. I tried to keep the look of disbelief off of my face, as it was obvious she already felt bad enough. I looked over at Lucas. Only but a second passed by the time he had started back towards the side of the big house. Come with me, he said determinedly. I looked back to John, who was still inside and motioned for him to come too. He shone his phone light out of the door towards me and jogged out to join me. How are you feeling, Sarah Kay? I'm getting a bit sick of playing investigator. He dragged his feet over the grass as we made our way back to the little door. Lucas opened it and let us all into the kitchen. Who has the side door key? I looked up at him. I could feel the worry in my own eyes. John tried his pockets and handed over the big silver key to Lucas. You left it in the first lodge. 
forgot to say. I couldn't figure out why there was so much animosity being directed towards Lucas. Did everyone else know something that I didn't? I looked over at John and he gave me the awkward no lip smile and looked down. Thank you, said Lucas, and we all followed him into the hallway of the big house. He was leading the pack, and as we turned around the corner, I saw him dive down to the ground in front of us. As I caught a glimpse amongst various pairs of shoulders, I saw Lucas kneeling over a body, moving it very slowly in order to administer CPR. As we got a little closer, I recognised it was Abby's sister, Joyce. Her eyes were closed peacefully and she had a compound fracture on her right forearm. There was a little blood around her arm, but apart from that, there was nothing. I saw Lucas reposition her neck to make sure her windpipe was clear, but her neck just seemed too limp for my liking. Abby had folded herself into John's shoulder, but wasn't making a sound, nor was she moving. I think we were all quiet because we knew the outcome of Lucas's efforts would likely be. Joyce was still a little rosy, and it was heartbreaking to watch Lucas try and help her, completely in vain. We all looked on in silence. After a few moments, I knew I couldn't continue to watch this tragic, real-life tableau continue any longer. I slowly wedged through the crowd and quietly drifted over to Lucas. I tapped him on the shoulder gently and he slowly turned around to look at me. His eyes were full of passion and red with tears. As he looked at me, I carefully reached over and gently pressed my fingers into the hollow of Joyce's neck. Nothing. My stomach turned and became heavy with guilt. It seemed to weigh me down more permanently to the ground as I urged Lucas to stand up with me. Which he did, slowly. Some parts of me felt that I didn't have the right to stand here amongst my colleagues, being the one who suggested us going out in the first place. But this was indulgent, as the other parts of me knew I'd have to take some form of control to give Lucas a break. I turned around. Everyone, go into the morning room now. Be very careful. Don't get too close to her. The team sheepishly edged around Joyce's body and into the morning room. I looked over at Lucas. He was almost catatonic. Lucas, take a minute. Go back to your room and try and get in touch with the emergency services again. This is going to continue to get out of control if we don't do something to stop it soon. He nodded back at me with a little resentment in his eyes and headed back to his bedroom. I took a small second to collect myself, realising I still had Lucas's tiny note in my hand. 
I unfurled it slowly and read one word scrawled across the page. That one word was informants. Ironically, I was not heavily informed myself on how the government were cracking down on health violations nowadays, but I had never been a conspiracy theorist by any standard. Did this mean the officers were informants sent here to pass information back to government bodies? Or were some of my colleagues earning extra on the side by whistleblowing our indiscretions? Neither of these options seem serious enough to be punishable by death. But then again, you never know what's going on in someone's mind when you're not in it. I slowly slid down the hallway towards the morning room. I could hear Lucas battling with the glorified walkie-talkie inside of his room. As I reached the threshold, a darkness entered my mind at the same time as a wash of tiredness. My eyelids racked over my eyeballs like raw flesh on sandpaper, and I took a seat, defeated, on a large, overly soft armchair in the corner of the room. As I sunk into it, I fought the overwhelming urge to sink into a deep, deep sleep. When I remembered, I still had the tape recorder in my back pocket. And as soon as that thought entered my mind, there was no erasing it. I felt like I was in pain, stuck waiting for an opportunity to listen to the rest. There was a loud thump that came from the other room and Lucas materialized, fiddling with his keys, attempting to lock his door. The tension seemed to multiply in the room upon his re-entry as he flitted around, locking, seemingly, every door and window in sight. He perched on the edge of one of the sofas and cleared his throat. Brian, Rebecca and Lucille sat on a once green velvet number to my left. Abby sat next to John on a red paisley love seat and Lucy sat on a small footrest to my right. So, as you might have guessed, in an attempt to keep everyone safe, I will enforce that we all stay here until help comes. Then, when it's light in the morning, we will all make our way towards the nearest village. I don't know what's going on here, but there will be no more of this. Look, I know it was a bad situation, but I did feel comforted and was slightly enjoying Lucas's newfound confidence. I mean, if I was going to be forcibly escorted from the face of the planet in the next 24 hours, it seemed like a great time to enjoy some small pleasures. I wished I'd brought some tequila. If I ever needed a drink... It was right now. As we all sat in silence, one by one, 
we drifted off into a jagged sleep. I didn't remember falling asleep, but I woke up at some point during the night. I looked around to see various bodies strewn around the room, breathing peacefully in the quiet. Lucy had laid her head on the side of my armchair. The gruesome feeling that woke me up grew the longer I was conscious. The voice recorder dug into my back end, prodding me to find somewhere to listen to it. I slowly peeled myself out of the cloud-like seat, trying not to disturb anyone. I would listen to this if it were the last thing I was going to do. Little did I know how unfortunate these words in my mind would prove to be. I slowly crept over towards Lucas. I could see his keys hanging on a chain attached to his trousers that were now visible as he had turned in his sleep. I reached down and carefully unhooked them from the link they were attached to. I had always been a veritable prodigy at the game Operation. Turned out this has come to serve as a pretty practical skill with real life application. Definitely a contender for a CV. As I slid away from him, I heard one of the men grunt in their sleep and, by pure reflex, rolled my eyes. I unlocked the door of the morning room and exited, holding the keys tightly so they didn't make a sound. I crept towards the old and, quite frankly, strange front of the building, saying a silent prayer for Joyce and Tom as I passed through the hallway. A realisation hit me. Lucas still had the key to the side door. It was separate from the rest of his keys. Shit. Shitty shit shit. What was I going to do? I looked around and settled my gaze on the front double doors, betting that the obvious really was that obvious. I turned the handle achingly slow and opened the left-hand side carefully. I should note, I kept all the doors behind me open. I would learn later that this was a fantastic example of my terrible decision-making skills. I patted around the side of the house, floodlights burning my retinas one by one. I reached the farthest cabin door, the messiest one, sans dead body that we had visited earlier. The door was already open, so I slipped inside and turned on my flashlight. The floor was filled with an ankle-deep layer of belongings that I carefully stepped in amongst whilst trying to find anything useful. In my eyeline, and poking out of the corner of a navy blue sweatshirt, were a bunch of white papers, stacked together and folded. Seemed like a good place to start. I walked over and pulled the papers from under the clothes on the floor. I moved my phone to shine the bright light over the words. It was an official document that read Metropolitan Bureau of Investigation Public Health Interest Case 
1006. Informant number 688156JR and informant number 688132RC. The following informants have reported a case involving serious public health violations against employees of MBAC Company. Registration number 518007397 involving a personal relationship taking place at the company which has resulted in an unsanctioned pregnancy. It has also been brought to our attention that team members have been making unsanctioned visitations. Due to statute 3.7.1 of the Coronavirus Detection and Public Health Protection Act, these infractions carry the penalty of up to £10,000 in fines and up to 10 years of jail time per infraction. I dropped the paper and my mind reeled with thoughts of how this had transpired. I assumed the unsanctioned visitations it referred to were between Brian and Tom, from what John told me earlier, but I could still be wrong. And who was pregnant? I tried to remember who had and hadn't been drinking at the beginning, but I wasn't paying enough attention. In case you've been living under a rock for the last 15 years, unsanctioned pregnancies were outlawed due to a mutation found in the early rounds of the vaccine rollout, which caused a hereditary disease in the children who were born. I didn't have enough energy or brain power left to explore the impact that would have on all of us in the future. I begrudgingly rolled up to a standing position, taking a breath so painless I would pay to have it back now. I pulled the recorder out of my back pocket and pressed the play button. The recording had been paused as it jumped from white noise to a woman talking. She was clearing her throat and saying, test, test, as a machine beat and spat out feedback. The voice had sharp pronunciation and an irritated inflection. It was Rebecca. The irritation was unmistakable. The voice continued. Please state your name, rank and... Ugh, what was it? Another female voice then joined the recording. I've written it down, just read off that, it said in the distance. I pressed pause and stood in silence for a second. They'd set him up. They'd set Lucas up so that he couldn't get help to the house when he needed it. At this moment, I assumed it was also them who had turned on a blocking box in the house to stop us from being able to call the police ourselves. Another realization hit me that Lucas was probably in trouble. Still facing the back wall, the cold air from the broken window pulsed over me like the current in the sea. This had all been planned meticulously. A shiver rolled over me and I turned to get ready to leave when two strong arms came flying towards me, 
knocking me to the ground forcefully. Another set of hands pulled my phone out of my grasp and launched it across the room. What came after were the most terrifying moments of my life, topped off with a side-serving of personal regret. I couldn't see anything in the dark as I was pinned down to the floorboards by a strong man. Someone was watching to my left as the next minute or so unfolded. A reasonably blunt kitchen knife came down on my face, neck and chest over and over again. Some stabs just slicing my skin on the surface and some digs landing and seeping into my flesh completely. I was so shocked that I didn't move for a second. Was I already dead? Was it too much damage that I couldn't recover from? Then, something animal kicked in inside me. Fight. I couldn't move my arms, but I began to kick my legs furiously, thinking I'd be able to dodge some of the stabbings. It wasn't working, but after a minute, whoever it was stopped, and both of my attackers ran out of the small cabin together. I was bleeding. It surprised me how warm the blood was flowing out of me in the face of the cold outside. I tried to turn my head, but my neck stretching was so painful, I decided to roll over instead. The best thing about using an off-brand phone is that no one else knows how to use it, and my flashlight was still on, shining like a little safe beacon in the corner of the room. I crawled over to it, picked it up and looked at the screen. No reception. I placed my hand firmly over my neck, concerned I only had a few seconds to take some action. I can't describe what dark powers drove me to make the next move, but hopefully I'll never know. Losing energy and just desperate to leave the room, I edged over to the broken window and rolled myself out of it sideways. To my surprise, I did not land on soft grass. I landed on something hard and uneven. As I rolled off that too, I realised it was the other officer, lying dead outside his own bedroom window. They do say history repeats itself. As I thought this, my eyes began to fill with tears as I mouthed, sorry, to him. My mind was an indecipherable jumble as I looked back at my phone screen and attempted to dial 999. No signal. I took a few more steps and was brought to my knees as my legs gave way. I looked at my phone screen one last time, dialed 999, and a bar of mobile reception popped up in the top right-hand corner. A voice on the other end said, Police, fire or ambulance. I tapped on the phone three times, too scared to speak. They asked again, and I tried to respond, but my voice came out mouse-like and characterised by nothing more than rasping and spluttering. As I fell solely into unconsciousness, my palm still pressed to my neck, 
I fell asleep and heard the operator as I drifted away, saying, Try and stay awake. We're going to get some help to you. I settled into the soft grass like it was my bed after a long day at work. My eyes opened slowly to a bright, invasive set of ceiling lights. I felt like I was mummified as I was covered in tightly wrapped bandages and my skin felt tight as I breathed. There was a tube down my throat. I felt like I was choking, but I couldn't move. I wanted to grab something or someone. I felt completely helpless and needed to see another human to explain what was going on. Or maybe just smile or something. I had a pulse monitor on my finger and it felt heavy. Something started beeping in the background at a desperate rate. My eyes swept from left to right. I could see a glass wall and door to my left and a window to my right. I heard the door slide open and a nurse busied herself into the room. Hello, sleepy, she said in a dulcet tone. The sound of her voice made my neck and shoulders relax into the bed again. The nurse, I assumed, adjusted some of the machines. Glad to see you're back with us. We were worried when you got here. I just stared at her, hoping she'd add some context. She didn't. So, we have an emergency contact for you. Julianne Kemper. Do you want me to call her? It was my mum. I picked up my hand and gave her a thumbs up. It shot an intense pain across my shoulders and arm. Thank God it actually filled that thing out. Usually I didn't. Oh, I almost forgot, she started. There's someone who wants to come and see you. He's a police officer, but if he asks you any big questions and you get tired, just push this button. She placed an emergency button into my left hand and popped my index finger on top. I'll be right outside if you need me. I silently wondered when I wouldn't need her. She left the room and I felt another body shuffling in. A tall, muscular man entered and walked around my bed to the window side. I couldn't see his face as I was pasted to the hospital bed. He sat down and the air in the room settled. My mind was a little foggy, but it was kind of relaxed due to all the drugs. It was a prime benefit to being on my deathbed. The man next to me cleared his throat and I hoped it was only one person. Sarah, can you hear me? It was him. It was Lucas. I wanted to talk to him, but there was no way with my attempted decapitation and subsequent air pipes shoved down my throat. I tried to motion to him, writing, and he got up and left the room, returning with a pen and notepad. It hurt to move as he gave me the pen and I started writing. It was probably almost indecipherable, but I wrote, 
I feel like shit. How are you? He giggled slightly as he read it and said, Oh, well, I can see that. And I'm okay. Lucy's okay. She went back to our parents for a little while. He stopped himself and looked at me. I motioned for him to keep going on with my hand. He sighed and continued, Are you sure? I gave him my second thumbs up of the day, like an enthusiastic team mascot. Maybe I would never have to speak again. Maybe I wouldn't be able to speak again. That was too heavy for me to digest right now. And in any case, the altered state I was in wouldn't allow me to. He sat down again. Okay, hold on to your pulse monitor. I squeezed it in response. Everything hurt, and every time I moved, the movement sucked a burst of energy out of me. So, I have a feeling no matter how I say this, it'll sound like a really shitty version of a sitcom. So, bear with me. So, when I got to the house, John spoke to me. He asked me to keep a particular eye on Abby, that she was vulnerable, but he couldn't tell me why. So, I agreed. I mean, I assumed the reason was because she was pregnant and turns out I was right. I've seen it before, but who am I to judge? So I just carried on. Turns out Abby had had a pregnancy test conducted through the works health insurance policy as part of some, I don't know, routine blood work. Tom and Lucy must have seen this or found out somehow and mentioned it to Abby, just trying to help. Abby threatened both of them to keep quiet. This was a lot of information to digest. My brain was reeling. Abby's sister was a government informant. I guess she found out about Abby and they decided to get rid of her in case she reported them. I tapped him to stop and wrote, They? Question mark. Ah, yes, sorry, missed that bit. So, it was John's baby. I was shocked. My eyes widened as I stared into the odious lighting. So, turns out, John had made a move on Abby. A long time ago, by the sounds of things. And really, I really underestimated his flirting skills. Amongst some other things. I took a second in the silence before writing, Tom? Question mark. He read it and said, Okay, so this one's a little more complicated. Brian, Rebecca's husband, was having an affair with Tom. They had a summer house together and they visited to, well, you know, I gave him a little thumbs up. So obviously they could have been charged for unsanctioned travelling and cohabiting. Rebecca had found out about this and I guess they've got kids. She didn't want them to be put in prison. 
and so I assumed she thought she couldn't do it alone. Rebecca knew about Abby and suggested they work together to keep their secret safe. John got caught up in it all when he found out Rebecca and Abby had planned everything. Oh my god. You actually couldn't write this stuff. So it had been Abby and Rebecca all along. Then who the hell put the voice recorder in my bag? And why me? I drew a little box on the paper with a play button in the middle. Or at least I hope that's what I drew. He stood up and took the paper from me, nodding. Okay, first of all, when we're finished here, we're taking art classes. Are you talking about the voice recorder? I gave a relieved thumbs up. It was me. I put it in your bag. I thought you might have been friends with her. I knew you all worked together and with John. I thought you might have been there for some reason. Well, obviously everyone else was there for a reason. I just wanted a drink and spend a couple of evenings hugging the toilet in my ensuite. So, why did Lucas come to see me now? Surely this was just his job. I wrote on the page, Why you here? I was giving up on grammar, not unlike any other day in my waking life. He got up and walked out of the room. Well, I guess that answered my question. My singleness seeped out of me even now, along with a significant volume of impatient blood. At least he'd had the manners to come and tell me what happened in what had become a sad series of developments that took place in the cabin. The door opened again and he returned with the nurse. She began to tilt the bed up slightly, so at least I could see them a little better when they spoke to me. The nurse left again, saying, only for a few minutes or so, and shut the door behind her. Lucas pulled the chair beside the bed closer to me and looked straight at me. The exciting change in position had me feeling like I was back in Ibiza 2020. Although our bathing suits were missing and we were wearing far too many clothes. A highly disappointing oversight on both our parts. I woke up and I realised you were missing. And my keys were gone. Honestly, I knew you were out in the cabin looking around. I was very worried. Very worried about you. So I ran outside. I saw John and Abby running back into the house to the morning room window. I heard a thump and the dial tone of your phone. Found you passed out at the back of the cabin. I didn't know how long you'd been there, but your call went through. And a couple of seconds later, I could hear the ambulances coming down the driveway. 
The police came too, so I couldn't come with you. I needed to help them sort out the others. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry I left you alone. Once the investigation properly started at the cabin, I just came back here. You've been asleep for two days. Your mum had to find some childcare and organise a few things like that before she came down. But she'll be here soon, I spoke to her. I felt like crying as he told me what happened after I passed out. And secondly, that it was John that had done this to me. I felt so horribly betrayed. I could only think of his face, smiling at me, initiating moribund conversation, and all the while knowing that he had the ability to hurt me in this way. I did start to cry soon after this. Do you know how hard it is to cry with tubes down your throat? Neither did I, until now. Lucas shuffled over to me and wiped the tears off my cheeks. He looked concerned as he bent over me. I looked up at him. This stranger had become the only person who knew who I felt. I was comforted as he smiled gently and moved some stray hairs out my face. Promise me no more investigating, Sarah Kemper, he said. I picked up the pen again and started writing. He turned slightly to pick it up off the bed and read my note, which wrote, In your dreams. And that, my lovely listeners, is the end of the turn. Oh gosh, I'm so, so excited to bring you this episode. I feel like it's been a long saga, a hard, a hard and horrible holiday for poor Sarah Kemper. Um, but I hope, I really hope you enjoyed the finale. Hope it was satisfying and enjoyable. And that marks the end of our series, The Turn, which is very sad. I'd come to really like Sarah over the course of writing this story. Um, and I'm just going to finish the story the same way I finish all the finales, which is to tell you why I wrote it. So I actually wrote this story as a kind of anarchist tale. I wanted to just explore the effects of extreme laws and also it was a little bit of catharsis I think over the pandemic I know it's a dirty word we don't use it anymore but <laughs> over the pandemic and lockdown I think we all had lots of frustrations and to be honest I think a lot of us are probably still dealing with them unfortunately some people have had some really horrible times happening during the pandemic so I hope this story where the good will out um, through Sarah and Lucas um, 
and lovely little Lucy, who was just young and scared, hopefully gave whoever's listening a little bit of peace and got some of that frustration and all those things we were dealing with during the pandemic just out of your system a little bit. That's really why I wrote that story. Um, as always, I truly hope you enjoy it. And um, yeah, that's the end of the turn. The exciting thing about this is that the turn will be away for two weeks. So not not the story of the turn, the series story on Wednesday will be away for two weeks, excuse me. So every time I finish a series, that series story and that slot will go away for two weeks. And then I'll start the next series. So the next series is starting next Monday. Um, because the series stories run on Monday and Wednesday. And the Wednesday episode won't be back until two weeks time. So just so you know how it's going to work. And my short stories on Fridays will always be released on Friday. So you'll always have that. But yeah, I would like to really, really thank you for listening to this story. I really hope you enjoyed it. I know this is a bit of a long finale, but You've got to give it your all when you're finishing it, especially after it's taken so long to finish. So, yeah. As always, I hope you all have a fantastic week. I'm looking forward to bringing you a new short story on Friday. So look out for that. And as usual, I hope you all have a little look at my other series story, which was called The Reigning Status, which is finished and is now in the break period. And you can also hear the rest of the turn on um, my podcast page on Spotify, um, Apple Music and Deezer, um, along with all of my short stories. So if you like to listen to any of those, just pop on to wherever you listen to your podcasts or this link and you'll be able to find them. But thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a fantastic week. And as always, I hope you stay curious. Bye, guys.